<clears throat> In today's quest. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> In today's quest, imagine taking the throne at 13 years of age. That's bad luck enough. But when you're already sick and with potential threats to your rulership around every corner, what do you do? The answer is simple. Survive. This is the quest for power. Welcome back, my friends, to the Quest for Power, where we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early Middle Ages to World War I. We are your self-proclaimed lore masters, Scott and Michael, and you are joining us on a quest to expand the boundaries of knowledge and to discuss the history and lore of Europe. Now, today we are going to be diving into the life and the reign of Teudebald. Uh, and if you are looking for some adventure and want to join the Lore Masters Guild, you can do so at patreon.com slash questforpower. There, we have side quest episodes to discover people, places, factions, things hidden in European lore dungeons, and you get a shout-out welcoming you to the, to the crowd or the guild. So, Scott, what have you been up to lately? I, uh, we had a wild D&D session. That, that I remember. The short answer is that I managed to derail my own campaign. So there's always that. It's always fun. Very impressive. Um, but, you know, it's what happens when you put, it's what happens when you put, like, I don't want to say MacGuffin, because it's technically not a MacGuffin, but um, when you put a really powerful artifact in front of the party and then half the party is, like, uh, good, half the party's evil, um, you kind of have the uh, the age old adage of you probably shouldn't have half your party be good or half your party be evil for this reason. Um, so being a high level high level play campaign, uh, the party instantly begins uh, fighting amongst itself, but in just kind of very roundabout ways. So yeah, everyone played very uh, civilly. So like, as far as as far as campaign collapses go, this is as about as good as you're going to get. Uh, so I don't really have a whole lot of complaints, and uh, I'm excited to see how we're going to handle this because we still have some characters who may live, some who may die, and ultimately, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for a different kind of mode of storytelling. You know, where we may do time skips different characters altogether um there's a lot of opportunity to kind of reinvent the wheel and um you know kind of make sure everyone still has fun yeah yeah i've been i was really excited like at the end of it i think a lot of us said that was like our favorite D D set it's definitely the most memorable the fact that we yeah like we had a very civil civil war <laughs> Yeah. so to speak like well, it was I, the characters had the civil war but us players weren't like vicious towards each other yeah and it can really yeah it's a slippery slope when you have players fighting each other like that mm -hmm. so 
because one players get attached to their characters and i think the group is you know thankfully this group is incredibly good about like you know as much as everyone messes with each other uh everyone's very respectful in the end and so like the table like no one is and also people are like trying to you know they're not super cutthroat about this whole thing like people were kind of holding back a little bit mm-hmm. yeah definitely relevant, like holding back but uh yeah this was a great opportunity for everyone to kind of flex their creative muscles and so i'm um, yeah again super happy and um you know when you when you dangle the uh the eye of vecna in front of a party uh shenanigans are bound to happen and it does not disappoint no especially when you had a lovecraftian creature lined up for us and in the middle of a dungeon i don't think i've ever heard of a campaign devolve into a civil war in the middle of a dungeon but you know here we are <laughs> yeah well probably not the well-written ones anyways <laughs> yeah, no, no, typically not uh but well before we get going on our quest and jump into sources we want to tell you about so you think you could rule persia their civil war is in persia you better believe that they have an entire category of shock factor and that's because the persian king of kings can be quite brutal in the ways that us players were not and uh some of the ways they kill people is very very inventive so you have to check them out and see how many different ways uh important people can be killed or not killed hi i'm serial and i'm umberto and we're the hosts of so you think you can rule persia a podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diochis to Yazdegerd the Third. Join us for a look at the rulers of Iran, from the Achaemenids all the way to the Sassanids, with plenty in between. We'll be discussing the lives and myths of the rulers of Persia before ranking them all and deciding who is really worthy of the title of King of Kings. We hope to have you along for the ride. Let's get into the sources. So today we have Gregory of Tours. He is actually alive during Teutobald's reign. So that's pretty cool. The main work of his we use is called Histories, which people commonly incorrectly call History of the Franks. Scott and I just recorded a Patreon episode and I have a whole new view of him. I don't know about you, but uh, it was really interesting to me. Yeah, no, it's always nice to hear um, about the man behind the words. Yeah, and it like, it, I think it makes me understand when he's writing that much more. And I think I'll be able to tell the stories that much better just because of, you know, where he's coming from. So yeah. if you guys want to check that out, I'd highly suggest it. Uh, he's a pretty uh, important in individual definitely very very influential in the way we view the time at least the history of the merovingians especially around this time yeah absolutely so speaking of which huge thank you to brie on the pontifex podcast for helping me understand the saints relics because gregory is a saint and he loves saints and their and their cults and how they worked within the medieval world. Greg is a huge fanboy of St. Martin of Tours. That may sound familiar because that is where Clotilda went to pray and caused a storm to stop her sons and Teutobert from fighting, if you remember. And uh, 
Pontifex does what we do, except for they rank all the popes starting from St. Peter and currently to Francis, unless he, you know, passes away and we get a new one. Uh, their podcast is definitely going to collide with ours because kings and popes interact with each other quite a bit. And that interaction usually ends up being a power struggle, threats of violence, or communica- excommunication. So the pope sending kings to entire kingdoms to hell as you do uh we also have agathias i got this i think we had him last session but i am not confident uh he is a greek poet and a main historian for justinian's reign he wrote down his own books called the histories so we're using two different books very very different but they have the same exact name uh, some of his work survived history, but in pieces. It does. It appears incomplete. There's a lots of fragments of it, which is really unfortunate. I always, I always wish that we got the full story, but that's the history nut in me. Uh, he is credited with the earliest description for the rules of backgammon, which he calls tabula, and actually commented about how an unlucky game that Emperor Zeno played. Have you ever played backgammon? I have not, and nor have I met anybody that actually knows how to play. I've only see it, seen it in the TV show Elementary where Sherlock Holmes is like a wizard at it because that's what Sherlock Holmes does. The one man in the world who plays. Exactly. So, Scott, let's uh, let's see your DM skills and give us a summary of what happened in our last session in the quest for power. Okay. Uh, boy. <laughs> Teutobert. I mean, yeah, I knew it was Teutobert. Oh, okay. Like, that, that is the one thing I can actually remember. <laughs> he, he pretty much got away with whatever he wanted, uh, if you recall. He... Uh... Uh... Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of yeah. No, I'm I'm not really picking up anything on this one. Wow. Okay. So we had Teutobert, and he basically, uh, he is the son of obviously Clovis's son Teuteric, and he, uh, basically got away with whatever he wanted. He had, um an affair with a woman while he was supposed to be marrying a different wife. He made that woman, uh, the queen consort, even though he was supposed to, through an alliance, make, uh, something with a different, uh, make the other woman queen consort. And it didn't do much. Yeah. That kind of rings a bell. So, yeah, I was just, it was a little interesting. He kind of got away with whatever he wanted. Let's see what the mess he left with his son. (laughs) Yeah. Um, was that pretty much it? Like, you know, cause should, should have gotten trouble with the church, but really didn't. Yeah. It was a whole bunch of things. So like he, the big thing is he basically gave Justinian the middle finger by, uh, making his own coinage. And he, uh, like, lied to the Ostrogoths and the Romans who were in the middle of their own little war that we covered in great detail on our Gothic episodes. And uh, 
basically just used them to his own advantage and yeah got away with anything he wanted to do with the church with with rome he got away with whatever he wanted uh with just norms of like you know the lombards didn't come attacking him after he really like disrespected their princess now that we've kind of had that weird little <laughs> previously on quest for power let's get on to the main quest so we begin our session in austrasia france around the year 535 when diutria that particular queen we we're just talking about queen consort of austrasia is giving uh, birth to a baby boy who is named teutobald he is presented to his father, Teutobert, and the king rejoices that an heir has been born. It will not pass on to one of his brothers instead. Wait. Uh, oh, yeah. Or you're saying that that Teutobert is happy that it will go to his son rather than... His brothers, because I'm sure if he were to die, like his brothers would just take the land as they've been known to do. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, yeah. Uh, so Teutobald probably had the standard child of any of these Merovingian royals, which was probably classes on how to murder your siblings and backstab your allies to gain more power and utilize the church to also gain more power. I'm guessing that's what the lessons learned were. Probably some sword fighting or axe, axe fighting, whatever weapons they used. All of the above. <laughs> exactly uh the, he uh most likely learned how to you know ride horseback um franks used them quite a bit and trained for battle with horses i doubt he did any reading or writing i'm pretty sure he was just taught how to kill people i mean it's the most important skill you need to know in this line of work it definitely is when you need to be a warrior king in this time. Oh, and, you know, since we're, you know, in the era of the church is all powerful, I'm sure he got a very healthy dose of divine retribution if you piss off God. So don't piss him off or the church off. I'm that's sure a, that that's good advice. Yeah, it, it is pretty solid advice, especially with some of um, other kings who don't do that and the church takes them down canceled yeah yeah just like the ostrogoths when we did them they were canceled pretty much because they didn't conform with the the dominant church of the day at age 13 he seemed to already not be in the greatest of health i'm guessing this is just standard living in antiquity late antiquity disease virus some chronic illness we don't really know um uh, many kings have had this happen uh, El uh alfred the great one of the best kings of england had it and uh so he managed to create most of england so let's see what he can do despite being sick all right well well, he was uh, probably recuperating bed and just trying to keep it together, not puke out his insides. And uh, some of his father's warriors came by and they knelt at his feet and proclaimed him king at the ripe old age of 13 years old. All right. Big shoes to fill. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was probably at this point he learned that his father died being gorged from a bison, which I'm sure is not how you want to learn about your father's death of you know oh by the way you're king now 
Yeah. 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 Lead us now. <laughs> exactly. Hope you paid and attention in class, you know, because every 13 year old boy pays really good attention in his classes. Ex exactly. And every 13 year old boy should be making decisions that affect a ton of people <laughs> as yeah. a king. Woe be to the alternate reality where I'm a 13 year old king. Yeah, exactly. Same. I, I, kingdom would fall apart. Yeah. Let's put it that way. And with that, we arrive to the castle gates and we pay our late respects to King Teutobert. From there, we'll enter the throne room and kneel before Teutobald of House Merovingian, the first of his name, the Unwell, King of Austrasia. So, uh, Previous kings we've done, uh, while Teutobald is being crowned king, King Totilla of the Ostrogoths is fighting the good fight against Justinian. If you remember that whole episode where uh, he seemed like to be the Goth's best chance. We'll see how Teutobald interacts with that. Okay. A little crossover action here. Yeah. Uh, Teutobald doesn't seem to be challenged at all upon becoming king, which is very wild. For being a 13-year-old in this day and age, I am shocked that no one tried to usurp him. No, the nobility uh, seemed to have been so loyal to his father and his father's memory that no one messed with him. Also, some reason, none of his relatives, the other Merovingian kings, try to take his kingdom while he's young and vulnerable. And they have no qualms about kinslaying, as we'll find out. Yeah, well, I guess um, that's the true legacy left behind by his dad. Yeah, his uh, his dad must have been pretty powerful and made a quite an impression. Yeah, or... Mm can't think if there's like some really like politically conniving way um to like take advantage but like either that or you know you can maybe influence the king a little bit it's yeah yeah i'm i'm sure it's like yeah that they they try and influence the king um the advisors probably just step in and run day-to-day -day life of the kingdom as they probably did under Teutobert. Yeah, well, as it turns was... out, probably not that much changed, at least not yet. Yeah, I mean, it it probably wasn't in their best interest to rebel. It was probably in their best interest to just let, you know, the status quo continue. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, when you like have a big like election, you know, some like president changes, you know, whole U.S. Congress just like turns up upside down and you're like, you wake up the next day and you're like, wow, this is like the same exact place as it was yesterday yeah wow instead of red it's blue decorations and that's yeah. it yeah <laughs> or instead yeah. of blue there's yeah. red decorations and that is the only change that we've seen donkeys and elephants exactly so well i mean he'll change stuff eventually maybe hopefully well, yeah we'll see if there's any like cool i don't know religious reform or something yeah, yeah, we'll have to see what he does. Well, sometime during his reign, he does his kingly duty, and he marries his step-aunt, the Lombard princess Valdrada, who is the daughter, also the daughter of King Vacho, and the sister of Visegard, who was Teutobert's second wife, so his stepmom. <laughs> uh, it 
and uh, it seems like his step aunt was three years older than him. Boy, uh, Pornhub would have a day field day. Oh. With this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it would. This is very Game of Thrones vibes uh, with the whole um, John with Daenerys, except for they were actually aunt and nephew versus step aunt but i guess it's that, not blood related so you got that going for you that's hey, that's all that you need it's <laughs> my favorite category exactly so you maybe you're not having you know that weird deformities quite yet yeah just give it a couple <laughs> generations when people start you know eyeing up their cousins or whatever and thinking well maybe yeah, and, and the church says they're against within four degrees of separation. So that is your third cousin is like the closest you they would allow wow. you to get. That's like only that's only that's actually slightly further than quite a lot of U.S. states. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's some what the church officially says. Some of them, I think like mo like most states let you marry like up to your like second cousin or something like in was in wisconsin when i was filling out marriage paperwork you can marry your cousin as long as one of you is sterile and sterile and over a certain age i forgot the age but i had right. to say that we weren't cousins and we had to, <laughs> to, to get married is that, is that is that's that's not a lie is it no, Please it's not tell. a lie. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's right on the paperwork. Yeah, well, it is a it is a law. So it's like, how are you going to verify that? Right? Like, exactly. Unless you unless you make people acknowledge it somehow. Well, under the penalty of perjury, I'm sure is what they say if you lie about it and you get caught. I don't know how often they're back checking like records and stuff being like, yeah. you know, they look at, they look at, you know, you check the box says we're not cousins. And then, <laughs> you know, some clerk at some point just kind of like looks at you like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, There's yeah. something fishy going on here. Yeah. Yeah. They both have the same last name. Mm -hmm. Why are they getting married? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That it just, <laughs> yeah. Cause who's going to actually check that? In 553, a courier came by uh, to give him a letter for his eyes only. Uh, and this one was from the Ostrogothic King Teia, so Totila must have passed on. And it, it, the, the uh, rule is now in Teia. The letter basically, in big bold letters, said, Help, we are in desperate need of support against Justinian. And so essentially at this point, Tia and the Goths aren't looking so good in the Gothic Wars. Their kingdom is all but collapsed, as we've discussed in Tia's episode number 24. And Tia thought, you know, Italy's too far. I would have to be away from my wife, aunt. I feel kind of young, and I don't really feel like giving you anything, to be honest. But he or his advisors allowed two of his subjects uh brothers lutharia lutarius and butilinus and they are the alabani chieftains and uh they could go fight for him instead it's kind of a weird showing yeah it, also it's, it's kind yeah. of 
interesting that like the Alamani tribe who Clovis has destroyed, they're still around. They just are subjects now to the Frankish kingdom. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably a good thing that he didn't go. Uh, Teutobald, as we have discussed, is constantly sick. And the army was overtaken by the plague. And those who didn't die from the plague were defeated at the Bas Battle of Casalinum, also known as the Battle of Volturnus or Battle of Cap Battle of Capua. Uh, I'm guessing during this, I'm guessing this is the Justinian plague is what this is because it's around that time that that started kicking up around Europe. Hmm. And uh, I'm guessing Justinian soldiers brought it over. Kind of would make sense. It is named after him after all. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, with that loss, Teutobald lost all influence and land in North Italia that his dad took pretty easily from the Goths and Romans, wiped away. So that's unfortunate. Maybe you uh, should have uh, made a bigger showing. Yeah, that might have that might have been a little bit better if you would have, you know, but his I mean, they died of plague. So who knows how many of his own troops he could have completely wiped out during that time. Yeah, that's fair. It's not like, yeah, it's not like the plague went, oh, you're because of your fight, you know. The, yeah, you get lots of dudes. Plague gets scared. It, it definitely does. Mm. COVID-19. <laughs> I blow <laughs> the wind of God. Yeah. Choo -choo -choo. Do you remember the Bishop Nicetius that we talked about two episodes ago in Theodoric's episode? Uh, Not particularly. He's the one who Theodobert raised a bishop, and he basically helped rebuild the city of Trier after years of just destruction because of civil war uh, okay yeah yeah it, it kind of rings a bell okay well nicetius seemed to be quite the stickler for rules and <laughs> with the cousins thing he began excommunicating frankish aristocrats who married close relatives that's all we're told is close relatives so i'm guessing it's their cousins or their second cousins mm -hmm. you know as close as teutobert would be to his wife love is love as you can imagine, the rich and powerful don't want to be sent to hell or deal with the consequences of being excommunicated, but they still wanted to stay married to keep, you know, yeah. the the wealth within their the circles. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so they complained to Teutobald and his advisors. And he was basically forced to write to Nicetius and said, you know, could you not excommunicate my subjects, please? That that'd be great. I mean, who else are they supposed to marry? A peasant? Yeah, we can't let like marry other people. Yeah, God we're, forbid. We're gonna lose oh. all our money. Exactly. Well, then we'd be peasants ourselves, or everyone yeah. would be wealthy. And then you have to work for a living. Actually, rough. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Nicetius must have declined this request because Teutobald later called for the Council of Toul in 550 
uh, to get a judgment against the overzealous bishop and reverse all of the excommunications. We can marry our cousins now. Yeah, I couldn't find the result of this council. In fact, the only reason we know it existed is there was a bishop, uh, Bishop Mapinus, Mapinius, looks like the Bishop of Maps. Uh, he mm. was a bishop in Reims, and he wrote to Nicetius claiming he didn't go to the council because he didn't learn of the purpose of the council in time, and that's how we know of the council. Huh. So based on that, I'm guessing there is a judgment against Nicetius because I'm pretty sure that was Nicetius complaining to him. Yeah. Probably wrote saying, him and hey. go, bro, why didn't you show up? Yeah. This was the big meeting. He's like, hmm, didn't get the memo. Yeah. I love how the bishop, though, in his wording, he said, I didn't, you know, he didn't bother to attend, even though it's mandated by the king that he attend, but claims he would have had he known the reason for the council. I mean, that's pretty relatable. Haven't you ever had like a work meeting that like you're technically supposed to go, but you're also like, hmm, I could be doing other things. Um, Because I have those moments every once in a while. I have those moments, but I don't think I've ever had to miss. I've ever missed one of those meetings, unfortunately. You're just like, oh, no, I have another meeting to run to. Yeah, that's <laughs> That'd be nice. I don't think I've ever had that, but I'm, I also like, you know, work remotely. So you can kind of work while those meetings go on if you want. Yeah. Not saying I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Big disclaimer there, but I do know <laughs> of plenty of people um, yeah. for a friend. Uh, no. Yeah. For a friend. I, no, I actually do know people who have been like, yeah, just like, mm, I could be better using my time. And that's what it feels like here. That and also going, you know, traveling to, you know, God knows where for a council. That probably is going to be boring as all hell. You sit there in some hot room or something and just sit there and talk, you know, probably like very minute or, or very like granular scripture. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Super dry. And you're just like, boy, I could actually be like. I don't know. Not here. Yeah, I could be reading, you know, very granular scripture at home. <laughs> exactly. But then you're not part of the decision making. And especially on this, like, really? Could you imagine showing up to that? Be like, really? We're doing this because these people want to marry their relatives? Boy, the the Council of Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in uh, 555, at the ripe old age of 20 years old, his chronic illness caught up with him, and he died childless, ending the line of Teuteric. Impressive. Really, yeah. uh, really did a bang-up job. He really, really did. Uh, uh, so his kingdom uh, passed to his grand-uncle, Cl Clotaire I, uh, along with his wife, <laughs> apparently. At least until the church got involved, because the church, oh, they always ruin all the fun. Yeah. According to Gregory of Tours, in the classic Merovingian way, in the classic Clotaire way, as we'll learn during his reign, I keep reading about this guy, I am excited for him. But, quote, 
he began to have intercourse with Visigarda, the widow king of Teutobald, before the bishops complained and he handed her over to Garivald, Duke of Bavaria. I have to say, like, that's so tropey. Like, you know, I take your kingdom and your girl after you die of sickness. <laughs> yeah. And I'm your uncle, granduncle. Oh, right. I don't exactly, I'm not sure if I want to follow how this, uh, how this family tree is starting to spread yeah. roots. Yeah. Or branches. I mean, well, they need to find, you know, they have to have family members to kill. So, you know. You, the only way to do that is by creating more family members. You can create family outside of your family. I mean, yeah, but that's no it's fun. Less, it's less family per person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Clotaire already, uh, we learned about, took over the Burgundian princess. Uh, I think it, her name was Radagund over Teutobald's grandfather, Teuteric. So he's taken yes. now two princess, two uh, queens or princesses, two royals, I should sure. say, two royal women uh, away from this line. Impressive. Yeah, so I'm guessing there's no mention of a marriage or an annulment so that means they were having an affair no idea if it was consensual or not and she was probably 23 at the time this was going on mm. so yeah uh, well there's the whole like concubine thing too right how you you know you yeah, could probably just but she's lose a sleep. royal oh yeah yeah, she's a wife. She will. Yeah, that she would be a wife. I mean, she does get end up marrying to the Duke of Bavaria. That I did check for sure. She did okay. end up doing that and producing a lot more kids. And we will probably talk about her when we go through the Dukes of Bavaria when that becomes a kingdom. All right. Uh, that's all I got for Teutobald. Are you ready to rate him? All right. Yeah, let's give her a go. Royal power. All right. How long do you think his reign was? Uh, seven years, by my reckoning. Oh, well, you nailed it dead on. He ruled from 548 to 555, so around seven years. It made it easier for me to track because we had the, um, we had the, the we, we were looking at his age, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Very, yeah. very young king on both ends of the spectrum from the, the death perspective and the gained the throne perspective so mm -hmm. exactly easier yeah. than we had such a short short-lived king so some things going for him in those seven years is he succeeded to the throne without issue despite being 13 years old in this in this late antiquity age no one challenged him for the throne at all uh he lost some territory in Italy, so that's kind of against him. And the might of his kingdom probably was no longer a threat to the Romans, unlike his father was probably a thorn in the side of Justinian. That's kind of what I got. He, 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 he uh, we don't got too much on his reign. Yeah. All right. So that's talking numbers. This feels like a like a three to me. I was thinking it too, but uh... just like he held on to stuff, 
kind of, you know, things didn't collapse. He lost, he lost I mean, land. Yeah. Feels like there wasn't a whole lot he could have done about it, except maybe, you know, yeah, not a whole lot. Apparently not very uh, strong. And you know what? He defended the right to marry your cousin. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's not much to go on with this guy. So, I mean, it was kind of I'm arbitrary, gonna... but yeah, I'm like, it's got to be less than a five. So I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. like yeah, it's probably like a three. He didn't do a ton. So, but yeah, he... I'm going to give him a two. Three and a two for five. All right. Infamy. Uh, the only thing I have is that he tried to get, you know, Roy, uh, aristocrats non-excommunicated for, you know, relations for marriages with their uh, cousins and his wife having an affair with his granduncle while his body was being put in the, into the ground. But that's not right. really infamy on him. Yeah, and the other one just feels like that he's just defending what will be eventually become common practice yeah. throughout the, the kingdom anyway. So, if anything, he made it less infamous. Exactly. So, zeros. Z zero. Easy. Religious passion. Uh, Nothing really of note. He, like I said, he did strong arm the church to reverse previous excommunication i don't know if that's really being religiously passionate you're yeah. actually going against the scripture and but he did help to choose a new bishop in claremont after the previous bishop gallus died oh uh this feels like duties that yeah yeah this is, feels like another zero to me uh i'll give He's him... passionate about marrying your cousin <laughs> i'm gonna keep <laughs> ripping on him for this <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, because it's religious passion. It's not like, yeah, it's not like how pious he was because that, that's a whole different, yeah, religious, he didn't show any passion. I'll agree with you. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Stability. Uh, no infighting within his court. No invasions recorded. Uh, it it Just seems kind of like let land go yeah uh, a couple of, i mean that land too i wouldn't even call i mean maybe yeah it was his so i guess okay so some sort of invasion but that was like it wasn't like land that was really really his i'm sure they were just extracting money from it more yeah. than anything it, it felt like periphery land yeah and something where it's just like you know it's like one of those things where a lot of land you realistically can't like just c control and patrol all the time. You're just kind of like, yeah, I have a, I'm loosely exerting my influence here, but regardless, it is still kind of a, a bit of a, a hit. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, I mean, he's a sick boy in the throne. That couldn't have been very good for stability. Everyone had to be planning for when he was going to die. Yeah. I think it kind of depends on the, I don't know. Like again, he uh if you have advisors, you have good people working things, you can yeah, things can be pretty stable even if your yeah. king is incapacitated. Yeah, and he didn't produce an heir, which is not good for stability. Yeah. That's a big that's a big issue. That's, that's a that's a big, big issue. Not even 
Not even his concubines could produce uh, an heir. <laughs> if he had them. I doubt he did. All right. So out of five, I'm willing to give a two. Yeah, I'll match that. All right. Look at that. I already penned you down for a two. So, oh, two and a two for four. Royal demise. Uh, he died from an illness that he had his whole life. That he was no constantly... one saw it coming. <laughs> yeah, no one ever saw that coming. Zero. Uh, I'll give him one. It's something. It's not old age. Oh, I thought you were going to say because he was kind of like betrayed a little bit post-mortem. Oh, <laughs> I mean. I stole uh... your wife. Stole your kingdom. <laughs> there's a little bit of dra- drama to it i'm willing oh, to yeah, we're on a one for circumstantial i like it <laughs> truly the death of the man is not when his heart stops beating but when all that has been taken from him <laughs> oh there you go wise words poetic today yeah i love it wise words we'll have to have quotes <laughs> yeah i don't know where i ripped that out of but here we are that's pretty solid stuff right there oh one and one for two all right legacy uh okay so for dynasty wise as we've discussed no children his wife has an affair with his granduncle before becoming duchess of bavaria and she ends up having many children with her new husband but that's not really I'm not giving him points for her successes. Uh, his line completely collapses and his kingdom is handed over to his granduncle, Clotaire. So it's gone. Yeah. Doesn't really sound like he's got anything to work with. I don't think he left anything behind. I mean, he sure he chose a he chose like a new bishop and he fought against excommunication, but that's it. All right. I have to go with zero. Same here. I like it when the math is easy. All right. I'm, I'm assuming y'all are ready for the total. The I'm grand total. Very anxious. It's gotta be big, big numbers on the bright side. He broke double digits. Oh, there we go. That's <laughs> that's solid. <laughs> I was so a little worried there. A six and a five for eleven. Oof, just barely. Yeah, not exactly the most impressive showing we've had. Uh, I would but... have to say he is definitely our lowest Merovingian. Well, it's nice to know that we've. Uh, this is our baseline here. Yeah, here we go. So, but that doesn't mean anything he may still have the epicness to be crowned high king or is he kind of bland and we just want to sack him and he can go be a minor lord somewhere or is he so abysmal that we burn his sickly body at the stake wow i gotta gotta stop the disease from spreading um it's kind of tough it's not like he really did anything horribly just yeah. like not not great yeah i he wasn't abysmal he it wasn't like someone that i would torch literally <laughs> i'm i'm thinking just sack him and get a new king in in the kingdom yeah off to the halls of the minor lord with you 
<laughs> and can, you know, caught and can bring your sickness over there. Yeah, there you go. You got anything else on him other than uh, your constant ripping on him for defending the right to marry for love, Scott? That's right. For love. That's that's what it is. Um, yeah, not not for political expediency. Not at um, all. Yeah, I mean, just kind of like kind of a tragic individual. Mm-hmm. Things just kind of set up, uh, you know family was nice and civil uh just kind of a kind of a lame duck you know yeah the fact that he had to take over at age 13 really kind of set him up for failure uh in my opinion like his dad should have stayed alive longer (laughs) well i'm sure a lot of people would like to say that i know i know so but uh yeah that's all we got yeah Alrighty, so he is uh, just sacked and, uh, like Scott said, in the halls of Minor Lords. Uh, Before we go, we want to give a huge thank you to Alexander Standard for cross-promoting us on their episode number 13. That's kind of funny that, uh, you know, he took over the throne and we're talking about their episode 13. Antigonus the One-Eyed, part one. If you need any reason to listen to that episode, the story of how he got the one eye is fantastic. Well, I mean, I assume he already started with two eyes. He did start with two eyes. So it's more like how he lost the one I, eye. Okay, I guess suppose, yes. <laughs> I guess how he lost the one eye. I always, I, I love that uh, epitaph, the one-eyed. That's, I don't know, that's... That's just so fantasy. Epitaphs are fun in they a morbid are. kind of way. They really are. Uh, also, a huge thank you to uh, Pontifax Podcast uh, for helping me figure out how saints and their cults worked. Um, that that was a huge, huge uh, thing for me because I was just... We kept hearing about it. Oh, this, you know, this king will die and then the cult will form around him or this king was obsessed with this cult. So it's kind of nice to know how that all worked. Also, thank you to David for liking every single Facebook post we have. We see you and we appreciate you. That's pretty cool. That brings us to the end of Teutobert the First. Let us know what you thought of him. Do you agree with us on that we sacked him and made him a minor lord? You can catch us on Messenger on Facebook and Instagram at Quest for Power or email us at questforpowerpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a five-star review on podchaser.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you want, just tell a friend or family member, and that goes a long way to help us out. If you want to join the Lore Masters Guild and go on side quest adventures with us, you can do so at patreon.com slash questforpower. That's all we have for this session. Next session, we are going to review the oldest of Clotilda's and Clovis's sons, Clotomer. We are now getting into what the Merovingian rule is remembered by. And finally, with that, the king is dead. Long live the king. 